Tonight's reading is Ephesians 4, and it's 25 to 32, and it's page 1176 on your pew Bibles. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. <coughs> good evening. Oh, half of you are awake. That's good. Jolly good. Um, you've heard that my name's Nigel already. Uh, let me just reintroduce myself. I'm Nigel. I'm a member of the preaching and leadership team here at St. John's. I'm looking around the congregation noticing uh, one or two faces that I don't know so well, so I'm assuming that you don't know me quite so well, so, and uh, you, you may be listening on the internet, perhaps. Uh, and so, uh, if I just introduce myself to say, first of all, that I'm a man, and uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman who's uh, sitting at the back, and uh, up until a couple of years ago, I used to work for lawyers, and uh, I worked for lawyers as a software programmer. And now I probably consider myself an Anglican, although my background is as a Baptist. So you say, well, why do we all need to know that? Well, I was reading the other day that um, apart from knock-knock jokes, you know the kind of thing, knock-knock, who's there, doctor, exactly, you've got the idea. Um, Apart from knock-knock jokes... The second most popular form of jokes are apparently light bulb jokes. Okay? So, let me start by a few of these. Um, How many women does it take to change a light bulb? Sharp intake of breath from over here. Uh, No, the answer is none at all because obviously changing a light bulb is a man's job. They get worse. As long as I can see the vicar still smiling at the back, that's all right. <coughs> uh, how many men does it take to change the light bulb? Well, only one, but you probably have to nag him for a fortnight before it gets done. How many lawyers does it take to change the light bulb? Well, still just the one, but when you see the bill, you'll probably think it ought to be five. 
How many software programmers does it take to change a light bulb? Well, none at all, because it's obviously a hardware problem. <laughs> How many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? Well, this has never been determined on account of the fact that it probably goes as a complaint to the vicar in the first place. He reports it to the two church wardens. The church wardens have to take it to the PCC. The PCC have to report it to the finance committee to see if we can afford a new light bulb. And even they then have to report it to the diocese, and it goes through a faculty committee. And by the time they've done all that, winter has passed, summer has come, we don't need the light on anyway. (laughs) How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? What do you mean, change? Change? It's all about change. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, as we come and look at your word tonight, please open our hearts and minds to see the change that you have already worked in us and the changes that you still want to work in us. And please give us the desire to cooperate with your plans and your purposes. Amen. Where are we going? What is the end in view? What is Paul's purpose in writing this letter and, in this case, this particular part of this letter? Well, Paul, as you probably realize, is writing to the church It's worth saying that. He's not writing to pagans. He's not writing to non-Christians. He is writing to the church, those people who have already accepted Jesus as their Savior and have come together into a community of believers. He is writing, apparently, to the church at Ephesus. In fact, some of the earliest manuscripts of this letter do not have the words in Ephesus. Paul is writing probably to the whole church in Asia Minor, what we currently call Turkey, but he's writing to the church as a whole. In other words, Paul is writing to us because we are part of the church. We are those who have decided to follow Jesus. And what is the first point that Paul makes in his letter? The first thing that's top of his list right on his mind when he sits down to write this letter. If you turn back in your Bibles, if you've still got them open, and I hope you might have, just one page in the Bible I've got here, maybe one page in yours, you come to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, and we get an introduction, who it's written from, who it's written to, grace and peace, praise be to God, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Why? Because, verse 4, because he chose us in him, in Jesus Christ, Before the creation of the world, why? To be holy and blameless in his sight. That's his purpose in writing. That you and I and all those who claim to be followers of Jesus might be holy and blameless in God's sight. We had a sharp intake of breath over here when I mentioned light bulbs and women. I'd have thought that maybe being holy and blameless before God creates a sharp intake of breath in all of us. Are we holy and blameless? I don't know what illusions you have about people who stand at the front, but I'm not there yet. 
Is it even our aim to be holy and blameless? Are we progressing in that direction? And the answer to those three questions, are we holy and blameless? Is it our aim? Are we progressing in that direction? Is probably no, perhaps, and maybe. You see, it's all about change. We have not yet arrived. And hopefully, we have not yet given up either. Are we making progress in our life as Christians? And if so, in what areas? I discovered in these verses here uh, what could be a little rhyme. I don't know if you're into rhymes. Um, It occurred to me that if we put a bit of work into it, we might get a whole poem out of it. But anyway, we'll see. But a little rhyme, no longer live as pagans do. Put off the old, put on the new. No longer live as pagans do. Put off the old, put on the new. I had a quick glimpse round when I came in, I was sitting at the back, and I discovered that thankfully everybody this evening is wearing clothes. That's good. We might have noticed had they not been. And if you're wearing clothes, somehow or other, between getting up this morning or lunchtime, if you were a teenager or whatever it was, um, you made some decision about what you were going to take off, your pyjamas, your nightie, or whatever it was you were wearing, maybe like me, you did a bit of gardening this afternoon and you put some old clothes on for that and you decided to take something off and to put something on new. And some of us have come in, actually I can't see any suits and ties, but some of us have come quite smart, some of us have come in jeans and t-shirts, that's absolutely fine. But we made a decision as to what it was we were going to wear when we came to church this evening. We took something off and we put something on. And Paul says to us in the passage, the the bit that we actually looked at last week, the bit that leads up to this, Paul says, take off your old life, the way you used to live, and put on the new life. And in fact, what he says is that God has given us that new life. God has done that for us. He's taken our old dead bodies, dead in trespasses and sins, and given us a new life. And he did that when we responded to his call. What Jesus said to Nicodemus was, you must be born again. You must start a new life when we decided to follow Jesus. And that's God's work in us to make that change. Eddie outlined for us last week. I didn't just slip this in to prove I was listening, but you know. That change requires a decision and will require a decision with some of the changes that we might be challenged about this evening. We needed to decide to follow Jesus, to accept his invitation. Change happens on the inside. It's not about being moral. It's not about being good, just doing the right thing. It's about being a new person, about being born again. And it involves a change of thinking. We have to challenge our old thoughts. We're all a work in progress. He made a very interesting comment last week which has struck with me. And that is that we need to be preachers. Preachers to ourselves. 
to keep telling ourselves, I am a new creation. I have accepted Jesus. God loves me. God is at work in my life. That we preach to ourselves, if not to anybody else. Because we are changed by God. Verse 1 of chapter 5, which we'll get to next week, talks about <clears throat> excuse me, being mimics of God by the Holy Spirit living in us. And that leads us to think, well, how does my belief affect my behavior? If you've got a bulletin when you came in, I put a question in the bulletin, which is, what difference does being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, make to your life? What difference does being a Christian make to my life? Are we different people as a result because it's easy to say I believe in Jesus it's easy to sit in church on a warm Sunday evening and sing the songs and say Jesus is Lord and he's the Lion of Judah it's easy to come to church but does it make a difference to the way that we behave to what we do and do not do we have a role in that A role with the Holy Spirit's help to put off, to continually be putting off those last traces of our old behavior and to put on new behavior. It's very practical, as we'll see now. Very practical. Paul gives some examples, both positive and negative. So, if you've got your Bible open, if you look at verse 25, the question is, Does being a Christian affect the way that we speak? What about truth and lies? We struggle with a lot of fake news and fake stories these days, don't we? Are they stories that we create? What about truth and lies? And it may not simply be as bald as this is true and this is a downright lie. I wonder about exaggeration. Or boasting? Are we people whose word can be trusted and relied upon? It may be that it's more of a problem for some of us than for others. But if we have an issue with it, do we recognize it? How does being a Christian affect the way that I speak? Does it affect my reactions verse 26 verse 26 talks about anger he says do not let your anger lead you into sin notice that it doesn't say don't ever be angry i was listening to someone this last week who said actually we ought to be angry a lot more often there's plenty of evil in the world there's In the world out there and perhaps nearer home as well, um, trafficking and poverty and uh, all those kinds of things we could see in our news and in our newspapers on a regular basis that probably ought to make us more angry than they do. But John Stott says, he's a preacher from a while ago, he says, not all anger is sin, but all anger is dangerous. What happens if it gets out of control? What happens if it goes over the top? 
actions have consequences and consequences might lead somebody to get angry but anger itself has consequences and Paul says be careful that you don't give the devil a foothold in your life in my life because if we get in the habit of our anger and things getting out of control that can be a little hook that the devil can work on another time be careful So how does being a Christian affect the way I react? Does it affect the way I work? Verse 28. He talks here about stealing. If you're you're stealing, stop and work instead. Be a net contributor rather than a net consumer. don't know, but I'm supposing that we haven't got too many burglars in church this evening. But if you're a burglar or something similar, stop, give it up. Do we do, though, an honest job when we go to work? Monday morning is coming. We're off to work. Do we work honestly? Do we give a fair bang for our buck? What about our role in church, that rotor that you're on? Are you reliable in turning up and doing your duty at the right time? Or is all of this just enough to get by? Are we those who build people up, perhaps financially, but perhaps in other ways, by being generous, by meeting needs? Or are we more likely to be those who tear down or ignore others? How does being a Christian affect my money, my time, my attitudes? Does it affect what I talk about? Verse 29. It's a difficulty with some of us, and I'd include myself here, of sometimes reacting to things that are said to me and making spontaneous utterances that are then inappropriate for whatever reason. But is our language part of stupid talk or foul talk or inappropriate banter? How does our language affect the people that we come into contact with when they hear us? Can we aim perhaps instead for what helps and builds up that's an encouragement to other people what the message calls making each word a gift. How do we talk? How does being a Christian affect what I talk about and the words that I use? Does it affect our relationships? There isn't specifically here a verse about relationships, except if you read the passage again carefully, you'll find that there are multiple references to people, even in just these few verses. Verse 25 talks about neighbors, also about members of one another. 28, those in need. 29, building up others. 32, one another and each other. We are called as people to be in relationship within the church and The things that we say and the things that we do and the way we react affects those relationships. Does being a Christian affect our relationships positively? 
But of course, it's not just our relationship with each other. It's also about our relationship with God. In verse 30, he talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. It wasn't more than a couple of weeks ago, I think, one of those who was standing at the front was pointing out what we hopefully all know, and that is that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force like electricity. He is a personality, and as such, he can be grieved and hurt. That's maybe giving the devil a foothold when we grieve God. But instead, we can also please God. We can please the Holy Spirit. He talks about being kind and compassionate to each other. Can I put a little word in here? It affects, it, it touches on some of the things I've said already about the words we use and what we talk about. And, but it struck me as I read this piece about being kind and compassionate to one another. I'm aware just recently that sometimes it's emails that are the problem. I don't know if you've discovered that. It's very easy to knock off an email and press send and it has an impact on the person who receives it that's much worse than the impact we intended. Uh, Ronnie and I, we don't always do it, but from time to time when I write an email, particularly if it needs to say something that's, what shall I say, a bit to the point, I'll ask her to come and look at it and say, is this all right? And sometimes she'll make a suggestion about improving it, and sometimes I do the same for her. It's worth bouncing it off somebody before pressing send because it can have quite heavy consequences with the people who receive them. But how does being a Christian affect my relationships? How does it affect my work, my speaking, my reaction, what I talk about, my relationships? Why is this important? Why is this important? Because, as I've mentioned already, because these things can grieve or please or build up the people that we talk to, but it also grieves or pleases God. God has made us to be one with him. He is a personal God. And though we are one with him, we're also one with each other. We grieve each other by our lies, our anger, our mindless talk, not pulling our weight. And this can grieve God too. Remember, he chose us to be holy and blameless. Does it go wrong sometimes? Yeah, it does. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Paul finishes up by saying, but be those who forgive each other. To what extent? To the extent that Christ, that God in Christ has forgiven us. That's how serious it is. How seriously we ought to take it. So, how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? No. How many Christians does it take to change the world? And the answer is, each of us individually and all of us together. With the Holy Spirit at work within us, helping each other to change our lives to be more like 
the life that God intends us to live. Then, to quote a passage perhaps slightly misquoting, then our light will shine before people and they will see our good works and hear our good words and glorify our Father in heaven. We change, the world notices, and God gets the glory. Amen.